Hello everyone and welcome to another Sunday edition of the Royal Ramble. I am your host as always, Blaine the Brain, and I'm here to break down all the major happenings that have taken place over the last week with my thoughts and opinions. While we didn't really have to pay per view for most of those shows, they were still all pretty eventful. Before getting to the programs of the week, I have to first address the rumor that has been floating about for the last several weeks that CM Punk may not be returning to AEW once his suspension is over. Is it even still a suspension at this point? Let's face it, no matter whose side you took in that backstage brawl following All Out at the start of the month, I think there were ultimately faults on all sides, and I'd be perfectly fine if none of the parties involved were to ever come back. Honestly speaking, nobody is above the business, and let's focus on that word, business. It is a business, and it's not their business. It doesn't belong to them. They don't pay the bills. They may be responsible for bringing in some of that money, but each and every one of them, that being CM Punk and the Elite, are all replaceable. The Elite has apparently sent feelers out to WWE, which again is another rumor, but I do ultimately think that they'll be back in AEW eventually. Punk I can see being stubborn enough to not want to resolve any issues because he never seems to think that he's the problem and that everyone else is at fault. My take on this is if you cannot get along with your coworkers or if you choose not to, then you are unprofessional and shouldn't be working for the same company anyway. In the case of Punk, I don't expect him to return to AEW and again, I would be perfectly fine with it. However, if this is the end for him in AEW, then I'd imagine that this is the end of CM Punk and professional wrestling in general, and unless fans start chanting his name, we will likely never hear it again. I really feel like Tony Khan needs to start being more of a boss and less of a mark. He needs to make an example of someone to show everyone who's really in charge. He's like that dad who tries to be a kid's friend instead of a parent. But I've focused enough of my time on that, so let's now switch gears and talk about the week that was in pro wrestling. We'll start with Raw on Monday, and unlike the rest of the week, there were more lowlights than highlights on this show in my opinion. It was the first time we got a full Dominic Mysterio promo following his heel turn at Clash at the Castle, and it's clear that this kid should never have a microphone again. I thought his promo was awful, and they just need to let Rhea do all the talking for him. Not that Rhea is any better, but at least better off than Dominic. That said, I did kind of like the spot in the tag match where he went down on his knees and kind of dared his dad to strike him, and Ray hesitated, which ended up costing his team the match. I like that they're not rushing this, and this is a match that should definitely happen on a grander scale. One match I did feel that they kind of rushed to was the Kevin Owens and Austin Theory match from this past Monday. It was a good match, but I feel like they could have milked it a little longer and continued building toward the blow-off match on a pay-per-view. The other thing that really bothered me on Raw and continues to every week is the ongoing feud between The Miz and Dexter Loomis. I do not get the Dexter Loomis character at all and why someone like that is supposed to be cheered as a babyface. It's ridiculous that you're basically encouraging fans to cheer someone who's supposed to be a stalker slash serial killer or whatever he is. I don't get it, and I really don't understand why they brought him back in the first place of everyone that they could have possibly re-signed. Moving along to Tuesday night, NXT continued the build toward their Halloween Havoc event and the transition into the new white and gold era, which I guess would now be 3.0? We shall see. 
But in any case, Shawn Michaels made a rare appearance and ordered that Solo Sokoa vacate the North American title at the start of the show because he wasn't a legal participant in last week's title match. My question is, if they knew that, why did they allow the match to happen in the first place, and why did they let this guy walk around with the belt for an entire week, including a title defense on last week's SmackDown, before finally stripping him of that title? One of the listeners in either this or another group had theorized that perhaps it was only for the visual of all Bloodline members holding a title behind Roman during the press conference for Crown Jewel, which I think makes sense, but then why even strip him of the title at all? Why not just have him defended on both SmackDown and NXT? Regardless of why that decision was made, considering how they are choosing to crown a new champion, I'm all for it. They announced a five-man ladder match at the event involving former champion Carmelo Hayes and four others who will each qualify in the coming weeks. Already in the match as of this week is Oro Mensa, the former Oliver Carter from NXT UK. See there, Vince is apparently not the only one guilty of changing names. That said, this is a great new start for Carter, and it appears that we may be getting all flyers in that match, which I'm all for. I think if modern-day ladder matches are all going to be spot fests anyway, they really need to go all out and put all the more acrobatic guys in the match. We saw the second match this week in the best of three series between Axiom and Nathan Fraser, and I'm assuming that the winner of the series will be granted one of the spots as well. Wes Lee also makes sense to be added, as he was supposed to get the match with Carmelo last week, but was assaulted in a backstage angle, so I can see him either being given a spot due to that, or earning his way into the match by beating Carmelo's right-hand man, Trick Williams, in a qualifier. So that leaves one spot open, and given how clean the main event number one contenders match ended, it kind of leaves Tyler Bate out in the cold, so I think he may get that final spot and probably win the title. Bate has been having some of the best matches of the year, including this past week versus J.D. McDonough. What an incredible main event. I thought it was the best match of the entire 2.0 era, and the right guy went over. But then during the stare-down between champion Braun Breaker and his new number one contender, McDonough, we saw the return of former UK champion who never lost the title, Ilya Dragunov, so it appears that we may be getting a triple threat at Halloween Havoc. It'll be interesting to see how this one is booked, and I honestly thought Dragunov would be out for much longer, but it is great to see him back. I'm assuming they made it a triple threat because they needed to keep two of the three strong and wanted the third to take the pin. Ordinarily, I'd think that would be McDonough getting pinned, but if rumors are true that Breaker could be moving on up to the main roster, I can see him getting pinned by Dragunov, who becomes the first NXT champion after the rebranding and then he spins off into a feud with McDonough, even though they did kind of do that already in UK, but I can see them revisiting that feud in North America. And I think Carmelo Hayes is also probably moving up to the main roster once he loses the ladder match, and NXT North America quickly turns into NXT UK 2.0. AEW had their big two-night Grand Slam event this past week, starting with Dynamite on Wednesday and then continuing with a two-hour Rampage on Friday. Dynamite, as always, was the better show in my opinion. We started with the huge title change where Chris Jericho defeated Claudio Casagnoli to win the ROH World title. A lot of fans were upset and puzzled by this, but I'm fine with it. I'm a fan of both guys, and I think Claudio had a pretty decent run holding the title for a couple of months or so, and I don't think this loss hurts him at all. Plus, to further establish the title as a big deal, you need it on a bigger star, which in this case is Jericho. 
I can see them eventually building to a match between Jericho and Daniel Garcia for that title, where Jericho ends up costing Garcia the pure title in a match with maybe Sammy Guevara or perhaps back to Yuta, and Garcia is subsequently then kicked out of the Jericho Appreciation Society, and I can see them replacing him with Yuta, who betrays the Blackpool Combat Club, and the BCC accepts Garcia into their group as kind of a trade-off. Speaking of Yuta, the one thing I didn't really enjoy from Dynamite was his promo segment with MJF. I felt that it just exposed all of his weaknesses in that one segment, and also did MJF no favors, as I kind of thought it was a step backwards for him, as he should be positioned closer to the main event picture. Fortunately, that was the case for him by the end of the night, and it appears that Yuta may be in a feud with W. Morrissey now, which I'm not so sure is a great call for him either. And then we finally also got the title change that fans were looking forward to since All Out, and many were saying should have happened at All Out when the Acclaimed won the tag team titles from Swerve in Our Glory, still a terrible name. That was one of the most genuine feel-good moments of the entire week, and well-deserved for sure. The question is now, what's next? Where do they go from here? I really hope to see more of the Acclaimed on Dynamite to further establish themselves and those titles. If not, then this is kind of a waste. I truly believe that titles should be given to the best in each division, and if I'm being honest, the acclaimed are far from the best tag team in AEW, so I fear that they may be transitional. Swerve and Lee already had a terrible run as champions, so I hope we don't see more of the same here. I am still a little confused as to why Billy Gunn is still with the acclaimed, as I thought he'd be done with them once their angle with the gun club concluded, but maybe there is some long-term plan in place here where Billy eventually double-crosses them, all for the purposes of getting the belts on his own boys. And then we witnessed another AEW debut, this one in the women's division. It was the one and only Soraya, the former Paige in the WWE, appearing on AEW Dynamite. A lot of people are already speculating on who her first match may be with, but I honestly don't know at this point if she'll even be in the ring at all, or if she'll just be utilized in some other capacity as she has apparently not yet been cleared to wrestle though Paul Levesque was trying to re-sign her to a new WWE contract as well, but she had already signed a deal with AEW. We'll see where this goes, and hopefully if she is wrestling, she is cleared by full gear. Dynamite also provided us with another great main event. It was the second night in a row for great wrestling main events. This one was to crown the new AEW world champion and was contested between Brian Danielson and Jon Moxley. I loved it. I thought it was far different from a lot of their previous matches, especially Moxley's, and both guys looked like they had gone through an absolute war. I also loved the finish where Danielson never tapped out, but simply lost consciousness in the submission hold. That was a nice touch, and solidifies Moxley as the guy in AEW. I just hope he gets a decent run before eventually losing the belt to MJF. As I said, Rampage was definitely the weaker of the two shows on Friday. I definitely don't think it needed to be two hours, as you could have condensed all of the major stuff into a single hour. There were some notable happenings though, including Japanese legend the great Muda showing up out of nowhere to help out his former rival Sting, which was a nice visual. And for all you Cobra Kai fans out there, it reminded me of Chosen making peace with Danielson after so many years. And then we had the number one contenders battle royal to determine the first challenger to John Moxley. Just looking at the field for this thing, was there really any possibility that anyone other than Hangman was winning this? I mean, I guess an argument could have been made for Roosh, but there were guys in this match who I don't recall ever even winning an AEW match at all. 
I know people will say most battle royals are this way, but come on, at least put a handful of contenders in there. Make it interesting. Ray Phoenix also had a tremendous match with Jungle Boy on this card, but I think anything short of tremendous between these two would have been a real surprise. Why were neither of these guys in the battle royal? There weren't too many highlights on SmackDown Friday night aside from the first segment. Sami Zayn is truly deserving of every bit of the push he is getting. I thought he and Roman and the rest of the Bloodline were all tremendous in that segment where they teased Zayn getting kicked out only to reveal the new t-shirt, which I'd imagine is going to be selling like hotcakes very soon. I loved it. There was also a segment later in the show where Drew McIntyre challenged Karrion Cross to a strap match at Extreme Rules. I really love when stipulations actually make sense, and much like the fight pit match between Riddle and Rollins, this one makes perfect sense as up until now, Cross has been getting the advantage on Drew with sneak attacks from behind. What better way to prevent this by then by putting him in clear view and ensuring that he can't run? It was perfect. I'm still not interested in seeing the match, but the story works. I'll end this week's program by talking a bit about Impact, as the company had their Impact Plus special Victory Road on Friday night, which was the final stop on the road to their biggest pay-per-view of the year, Bound for Glory. Unfortunately, I missed the last couple of matches, but did tune in for the ones I wanted to see. I thought both X Division matches were straight fire. We had the great opener between Speedball Mike Bailey and ROH legend Delirious. The Motor City Machine Guns also got a pretty good match out of Honor No More's Vincent and PCO. And you know what? When we're talking about all the great teams in wrestling today, including FTR, The Acclaimed, The Young Bucks, The Usos, etc., I think the guns need to be part of that conversation as well. Think about this. These guys are both in their 40s and are still moving faster and having better matches than most 20-year-olds. The X Division Triple Threat Revolver match was also spectacular. I am usually against intergender matches in wrestling, but I thought Mia Yim more than held her own in that match, and it was totally believable that she could win. I was a little surprised by the outcome, as it will now be AEW's Frankie Kazarian who challenges Mike Bailey for the X Division title at Bound for Glory on October 7th. But all things considered, I guess they wanted to do a match that wouldn't be seen on regular AEW TV. I just found it weird that Kazarian just shows up out of nowhere and is suddenly now a number one contender. Speaking of people coming in from outside the promotion, we also saw the Impact debut of Bobby Fish, but I kind of question how he was used and how he will be used moving forward. I don't think putting him in an angle with Raj Singh and Shira right off the bat was the way to go, but hopefully they have bigger plans for him in the future. I can see him being in some kind of X Division free-for-all or something in the opening match at Bound for Glory. As much as I am still not a fan of the Honor No More group, I have to give credit where it's due and applaud Impact for at least trying to make this group seem more threatening, especially having Eddie Edwards get a pinfall victory over the champion Josh Alexander in the six-man tag, although it does kind of telegraph that Alexander will retain in Bound for Glory. One of the other guys that I'm not particularly a fan of is Steve No Personality Macklin, but he apparently had a really good deathmatch with Moose and Sammy Callahan in the Barbed Wire Massacre main event. I missed it, but I may go check it out later. That said, I'm still not a fan of Macklin. And then Impact also announced the newest inductee into their Hall of Fame, former Impact World Champion Raven. Can't say I disagree with that. He had a really good feud and some solid matches with Jeff Jarrett when Impact slash TNA was born, and many credit him for making CM Punk a household name in their feud. 
What I like about wrestling nowadays is that there's always something to look forward to, including next week's episode where I will be previewing both the Impact Bound for Glory and WWE Extreme Rules events, as well as the fantasy forecast for each of their next events. Stay tuned. Until we meet again, it's ABC. Yeah.